just when you thought the NFC East couldn't get any more farcical, we've had the, the two games that we've had uh, this week. Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. The playoffs are here. We have decided to chop down some of the terrible teams and we're only left with some terrible teams. So hey guys, we got Connor here, we got Fitz. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on guys? Any crack? How's all down in Cork? Uh, not too bad now. Pretty quiet new year. Um, the one impact um, of COVID is really accelerating my descent into middle age, um, sitting at home watching Jules Holland like my parents do. Mm, I did the same. Uh, it was great. Yeah, yeah, some, some good acts on. But um, yeah, it's uh, very, very quiet all around. Tom me. Jones isn't a very good singer anymore. I'm not sure if he ever was. Well, he's like a million years old. So. But was he ever great? I uh, <laughs> had some good songs, I suppose, back in the 60s. But, yeah, but like, I, I wouldn't be to... a fan now. Because I was trying song to... with, with Catatonia. Oh, yes, he did. He, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. He did one with Catatonia. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, because what I was trying to think of, because like most of the people who are on Jules Holland are like, you know, oh, this is an excellent kind of jazz singer, like kind of does a circuit and I want to do a song with them or whatever. And then he's just like, also, here's this guy who I can't remember the last time he was a great, like, I, I was just looking at it going, like, he's fine as a singer, but was he ever like a proper top end singer or... Yeah, I don't know. I think he was big in the 60s and 70s. Like, he was a real kind of superstar in the 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I don't doubt he was famous, but I'm just trying to think, was he ever a, a big singer? Good. All right. yeah. yeah. You know, like, you know, was, he, was, he, was, he, was he ever Joe Dolan good? That's, that's, that's the question. Uh, that is think standard, isn't it? Few are. But, yeah, no, we, we, we did similar up in Donegal. We watched Jules Holland. We had a bit of bubbly at midnight. And... Uh, yeah, very, very exciting times. Uh, what about yourself, Fitz? How was Cavan? Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just back in Cork today, so uh, yeah, just, just escaped Cavan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, New Year's was basically a non-event. In my, basically, nearly everyone in my family had already gone to bed, and the only one who hadn't was my uh, younger brother, who was playing Hades, and I had to basically tap him on the shoulder and say, uh, <laughs> Happy New Year's, and he's like, what? And it's like, cause Hades apparently is a very good and a very addictive game. So, uh, yeah, a bit of an anti-climax there. But, uh, yeah, like, to be honest, New Year's isn't really a huge thing for me in recent years anyway. And the, the overall Christmas was basically just an excuse to relax, kind of recharge the batteries and, yeah, hopefully have a, a better year coming ahead. Mm. Yeah, no, with the one plus we had to ours is we ended up getting uh, lift slash access to cars for most of it. So we didn't actually have to face public transport which is a blessing given that we have uh well, we're up to six or seven thousand uh cases a day here in ireland at the moment so uh good to avoid the general public where possible uh i suppose since we talked last there's been some big developments in the uh nfl mainly that we've gotten rid of a load of teams and we're now into the playoffs so we will just confirm the playoff picture for everyone to start off AFC number one is Kansas City, two is Buffalo, three is Pittsburgh, four is Tennessee, five is Baltimore, six is Cleveland, and seven is Indianapolis. Are we happy with this overall? Do we think uh, anyone got badly done over in this kind of mishmash? I think this is close enough. Obviously, the Dolphins are the uh, are the one that you might think what could have been if they didn't have the injuries to Fitz. 
Yeah, like that, that's the only reason to really want to have had the Dolphins in the uh, playoffs is having Fitzmagic in there, considering that uh, Miami went out uh, no small part due to their quarterback woes. Um, but uh, like Philip Rivers, I know you don't have much time for him, Connor, but he is also an old guy who probably deserves to have one last shot at the title. I wouldn't give him much of a chance, to be honest, but uh, you know he, he's done his time and he probably deserves at least one more shot, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a strong it's a strong list. The AFC definitely stronger than the NFC, and um, I'm also happy that Cleveland are six number six instead of number seven. So no one can say they only got into the playoffs because they expanded the playoffs. They got into the actual uh, mm. playoff spots as opposed to the, the newfangled uh, fancy ones. No, of course, and it's good to see them breaking an 18 year streak of not being in the playoffs. And the NFC, as was yeah, just at the top end of it, Buffalo did manage to clinch that second seed spot. So. Uh, that was interesting. NFC, we have number one is Green Bay. Number two is New Orleans. Number three, Seattle. Number four, the Washington football team. Number five, Tampa Bay. Number six, the LA Rams. And finally, number seven, the Chicago Bears. And we predicted this a couple of weeks ago. that They'd hang around like a bad smell and sneak into that seventh <laughs> seed. And they have indeed. Um, yeah, I would say looking at this, that overall the NFC is the weaker of these two groups. And I would say that probably by a bit of a distance um yeah and yeah, like yeah. you know if, if in the AFC you can get a go like look uh, you know i know you guys don't really like the colts but i think based on their overall portfolio and their overall record you know it would be unfair if they hadn't made the playoffs you'd think probably uh whereas with chicago basically back backing their way into the playoffs at eight and eight you know you're kind of wondering whether these extra playoff teams are really worth the effort even a couple of the other teams, obviously, the NFC East, uh, they have a representative. And even someone like the Rams aren't exactly, you know, a huge team. They've got a great defense, but not the easiest uh, team on the eye. So, yeah, like uh, even none of these teams really have been dominant throughout the entire season. Green Bay have been the closest, but they we know they have their own issues. Um, so, yeah, the NFC, uh, probably less quality at every level um but that perhaps makes it a bit more open in terms of who will emerge from this uh, make it to the super bowl yeah like arizona are obviously the name that are missing off this nfc list and some might point to and we'll discuss it in the pitch uh, injuries maybe hampering them in that would we yeah but like we don't want to a... see a banged up kyler in that in, in the playoffs that would just be depressing to be honest no because what i was going to say was actually i i would reckon the chicago have more of a puncher's chance than a kylerless arizona really right well, they, they probably would have made Kyler play, and that would have been even worse. In oh, some ways, that'd be very RG three's season yeah, in Washington, wouldn't cause it? Because we, we we saw that this week um, in their must win game, and it was just sad, as we'll talk about in the game reviews. Yeah, but no, it should be it should be an interesting one. Uh, well, obviously, yeah, the AFC we'll, is going to be great, but NFC, the AFC ooh, is is yeah. is a proper thumpers. Uh, like I said, like the team that we are just bored and don't want to see had a was he a two hundred yard rusher last week? Yeah. Yeah, like we're talking about like, like the worst team has 200 yards rushing last week. Like it's, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll discuss it later on. But it looks good. So we'll move on to uh, obviously Monday is known as Black Monday because um, it tends to be where we see some firings, and we had a couple of those around the league for teams that are now out of contention. The Jets fired head coach Adam Gase. The Jacksonville Jaguars fired Doug Marone, their head coach. 
and the Chargers in, you know, probably 50-50 shock or not shock uh, have fired head coach Anthony Lynn, who many thought may have been able to hold on to it. So that means that we've now got openings at Atlanta, Detroit, Houston, the Jets, the Chargers and Jacksonville. So six teams. That's about standard-ish, maybe a little bit on the higher side. Um, And like we can see kind of common themes in a few of these. We've either got stale or we've got directionless that's kind of the two <laughs> the two things that are happening uh, the two big names that are uh, the big names that are kind of running around at the moment are Kansas City offense coordinator Eric Bieniemy, uh, Joe Brady the Carolina offensive coordinator uh, Brian Dable another OC from Buffalo uh, Matt Everflus the Indianapolis defensive coordinator Robert Sala San Francisco's DC uh, Arthur Smith who to be honest I wouldn't I didn't even really know about until we started hearing this um, the offensive coordinator for Tennessee who you know makes sense uh, uh, LA Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley and also for some reason as there is every time there's a opening maybe this one will tempt Urban Meyer to leave because I think he's now he's now doing the college football broadcast for Fox <laughs> yeah. isn't he and you know today he he's swiping away rumors that he's looking for 12 million per year and he's been heavily linked with the uh, Jacksonville job in particular you know there's other na- old school names kind of going around uh you know, Jason Garrett's apparently getting a few interviews. Uh, you know, the former Cincinnati joke, Marvin Lewis is getting a few interviews. So, you know, there's a few interesting names out here, but these young guys obviously are probably more in line with, I suppose, what people have liked over the last few years, getting a young offensive guy or a young defensive guy, someone who will bring energy to the team rather than going for retreads. And uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, I suppose to, in one way that makes them more exciting, but in other ways it makes them less you know, uh, knowable in terms of what's actually going to happen when you put them in the in the big job and see how they do. No, of course. Uh, is there any name surprised to not be on here? Like, I was I was hemming and hawing about Zach Taylor, uh, the Bengals head coach. I wasn't sure if he was going to be safe, but I think that little push at the tail end when was the Steelers they beat. Uh, might have held him yeah, and, and, and the injury to the quarterback obviously but, uh, and the Bengals are notoriously cheap so they may just not want to have to pay two contracts at once yeah that's um, true. so he may have escaped due to that like there's there's obviously guys who are going to be under pressure next year like Vic Fangio in Denver um, but I think most of the teams given the coronavirus situation were probably happy to stay pat except for these teams that obviously were kind of you know Gase and Marone were on the hot seat for the entire year and they obviously had terrible years and yeah Anthony Lynn is the one surprise but I think just I, I think the way that they lost some games was just embarrassing and I think they kind of go like, like even though he's a great guy seems to build a great culture he had a great start with the team I think just the way that they lost some of those games that the lack of game day management is just so worrying that I think they they think they have to get someone in who can take control of that team and run it effectively when it matters on Sundays. Yeah. Uh, if you're in the... Yeah, I suppose that... Sorry. The, the one name that probably sticks out to me as not being there is Doug Peterson. I mean, he won a Super Bowl, but also his team is terrible and he's actively trying to lose games now. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just for just for violating unwritten rules of the NFL, he should probably be... be uh, and, but, um, that's the power yeah. of the ring it's true it is true he has bought himself <laughs> about a decade um, speaking of someone to... who is over uh, <laughs> due to a single ring uh, as a GM at least Connor yeah so horseman himself John Elway 
has finally decided to give up uh, GM control and he's going to take over an executive position as I believe head of football personnel or something like some kind of weird title where he's basically going to have a lot of control he's going to hire the next GM and he's going to have oversight of personnel and the GM's going to have to run stuff by him which at, at, at that point why the fuck not just leave him as GM but John Elway uh, obviously helped put together their Super Bowl winning teams with uh, Peyton Manning um, he also managed to draft every failed quarterback above 6'5 that's ever been in the league uh, now how they, they, and they got out of some of those easily like he has struggled hard for the last 10 years to try and find an answer at quarterback and the only answer he could find was whenever a superstar quarterback dropped in his lap post neck surgery that happened to be healthy um, so yeah I, I'm not I'm a fan a of John Elway's quarterback. he's not, a Hall of Fame quarterback what if we get together amazing GMing yeah, like John, John, John Elway is a horrendously overrated general manager and they are better off without him there. So therefore, I'm, I'm completely opposed to this as I prefer Denver uh, in their weak and vulnerable state as they currently are. But uh, it's good that they're going to have an off. But it sounds like Elway is basically setting himself up that he can blame someone if it doesn't happen the next time while also actually making the decision himself. So I don't think much is actually going to change with this. Yeah, but uh, we also have to take into account that Denver has been going through some ructions in terms of ownership and family stuff that uh, there's many, many articles out there if you want to talk about. Basically, there's been a huge fight over the team and now Elway is kind of burrowing deeper into the executive role where he can't necessarily be held accountable for Mm. any football-related stuff. And it kind of feels like he's kind of... uh, This isn't actually giving up control. This is him getting more control in the sense of being around for longer and having more influence. But, you know, yeah, I think you, you alluded to there. If I was a prospective GM, this is not a situation I would be totally happy to go into. You have a quarterback controversy. You're going to be stuck with the previous guy's coach. Um, the roster as a oh, whole. Oh, yeah, because did, didn't, didn't, didn't he re-sign the defensive coordinator or something as well? Uh, I think you're thinking of uh, Dallas. Uh, they, they they re-signed their offensive coordinator this week. Uh, but no, the, GA, the the head coach, Vic Fangio, will be kept around. Um, so it, is, it, isn't, it isn't, in my to my mind, a great situation to be going into. It seems to be a situation where you're being set up for the fall, to be honest. Uh, maybe Elway's been uh, <laughs> listening to the, the, the advice to uh, NFL players in terms of having a fall guy, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, should it should help them out in the long term, I suppose. Um, Philadelphia's defensive coordinator uh, Jim Schwartz has said he's going to take twenty twenty one off, and he's considering retirement. To be honest, Sean, as you were saying, we would expect that their head coach should be under question at the moment. Like, I wouldn't want to be any part of that organization at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it it does sound like there there's. Uh, I mean, we can talk about it in the game. I mean, whatever ridiculous plan that they were they were running. Um, um, this is a team that's gone from Super Bowl to, to four-win team in the space of three years and um, has its own quarterback controversy coming down the line um, as well. I mean, I do think the Philly defense is probably quite strong. I mean, I mean, Swartz seems to have gotten things together. So if anything, this might actually uh, probably weaken the Eagles uh, even more. And then that next season could be an absolute disaster for them especially since the Giants are going to go out of their way to beat the shit out of them in the two games that they play yeah. um, between them next year. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, it'll be a rough one for them in Philly. We'll see what they can manage to cobble together. Like you said, that's the kind of thing that will hangs a lot of stink around the place, uh, particularly if you're trying to attract anyone new. And COVID cases have gone a little bit funny. We actually just had some breaking news about an hour before we kicked off here. There are cases in Los Angeles, Rams, New York, Jets, Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Miami, Atlanta, Chargers, Giants, Dallas, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, Buffalo, Seattle, Arizona, and Indianapolis. No effect on the schedule. They managed to get through <laughs> all six, all 17 weeks uh, with obviously some setbacks here and there, but we managed it. We got an entire season done. Isn't that remarkable, guys? Well done to the NFL for what, like I said, I was positive about it happening, but like even I knew there was a lot of risks that it might not. Yeah, yeah. You kind of get the sense, though, that as the weeks have gone on, the NFL's been more and more willing to just have multiple classes of players out. They're they're really trying to avoid canceling games or pushing games back too far. And we've got had situations like the Broncos having to play without a quarterback, the Browns having to play without any wide receivers, the Saints last week having to play essentially without any any kind of running backs. I mean, it's it's we got to the end, but but at what cost? I mean. You do have to question the, the the idea of sporting integrity. Kind of comes into it a bit. Have have we had a fair season? Um, it's questionable. Certainly, I think the NFL prioritized this and have gotten the result they wanted. But I, I'm not sure everyone is 100% happy at, at how well, well, how we got there. Well, as a statistician, this is important data. Like, are wide receivers important? <laughs> it seems so. Uh, <laughs> and now we're about to find out are head coaches important. <laughs> Uh, in in the upcoming week, I believe, Connor. Yeah, this is the breaking news we had there recently. Uh, Cleveland head coach Kevin Stefanski, two Cleveland coaches and two players have tested positive for COVID-19. This is not a contact situation. This is a positive test situation. So that means they will not be available to the team, even if they start to to test negative uh, for their playoff game. The players are guard Joel Batonio, wide receiver Kaderil Hodge. Um, Kaderil Hodge, you can survive because, you know, they've got the other wide receivers back. Joel Batonio, their guard, is going to be a massive impact. And we'll get to it in the preview, but, like, they want to run hard, particularly against this Pittsburgh team that's been a little bit soft in the defensive line with some injuries. Like, that's a big, big big loss for them um we've been told that uh is it offensive coordinator or special teams coordinator is going to be the interim head coach on the day yeah so i believe uh, the special teams coordinator is kind of the head coach in emergency situations but that offensive coordinator alex van pelt will be the uh play caller uh, effectively head coach on game day um so obviously that's the most important thing on game day is who's going to make the decisions and that's what alex van pelt or oc will be doing um Look, this is a disaster for the Cleveland Browns. Joe Petonio, as you say, is a key player for them. He has been at an all-pro or Pro Bowl level over his career. He was very good this year. You know, it's all about that run game, getting, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, getting those yards, setting up the play action for Baker Mayfield. We've kind of seen maybe small previews of what he looks like when that's taken away from him. He's not very good, basically. And yeah, like if you don't have an interior push against one of the best defensive lines in the league, then that's going to be a lot more difficult. Um, and obviously Kevin Savansky, you know, 
as a play caller, I'm sure Alex Van Pelt has the same, you know, ideas, has been studying under him. But Stefanski obviously has come into this team and made them relevant. He's gotten the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. So there's no doubt that he, he, he is a guy who has a certain influence and obviously certainly cachet within the team now. And to lose him on game day uh, can't be underestimated as well as losing these coaches on the offense. Uh, I think it's tight ends and, and uh, as well. So, yeah, this is just a disaster. And look, if Cleveland can get through this and these guys can come back for the divisional round, we'll all be like, oh, like that. maybe that's a testament to how good Kevin Stefanski is. Um, so it's kind of win-win for him either way in terms of his uh, reputation. But, yeah, like this is just, uh, you know, for Cleveland, given what's happened, this, I don't know, this just feels so shit, basically. Yeah, this this is very Browns. I mean, you wait 18 years for a playoff game to come around and then, and then something like this happens. And given that the last few weeks, the chaos that they've been having as well without having a lot of uh, practice and, and missing the wide receivers for a game. I mean, it, the season seems to be falling apart at right at the wrong time for the Browns, definitely. Yeah. Uh, other important members who have got uh, COVID designations, New Orleans running back Alvin Kamara, and uh, Tampa Bay linebacker Devin White are at risk to miss wildcard weekend due to 10-day isolation following positive tests. So Kamara's a maybe and White is a likely to miss for those two. So that's kind of big yeah, impact for so those two teams. Basically, the day that they came in, they came in is approximately like 10 days until wildcard weekend happens. And thus, several of the teams, most notably New Orleans, were pushing to get a Sunday game, uh, which they did get in the end, um, because they wanted to avoid one of their star players being missing. Um, so I believe because Devin White um, and Tampa Bay are playing on Saturday, he's much more likely to miss due to the 10-day isolation requirement. Now, obviously, because both these guys are positive, as far as we know, um, there's a chance that they'll just not get rid of COVID in time anyway. Um, but in terms of fulfilling the minimum NFL isolation criteria, um, Calvin Kamara will probably play or is likely to play, uh, we think, uh, where Stephen White is on the opposite side of that uh, fence at the moment. Yeah, and that'll be a big knock to both those teams. In that case, we've also had a couple of injuries to, uh, we'll, we'll basically at this point in the season kind of focus mostly on playoff relevant uh stuff so Green Bay's offensive tackle David Bakhtiari has done his ACL and he's gone for the season this happened in uh, just a training session that they were having so that is a huge loss to them to lose their tackle at this point Indianapolis also lose an offensive tackle Antonio Costanzo he's done his ankle and he's gone for the season and Cleveland have lost defensive end Olivier Vernon who has injured his Achilles and he's gone for the season so obviously Green Bay and Indianapolis losing offensive tackles that's a big hit for them particularly for Indianapolis given let's be honest uh, how statuesque in the movement way uh, <laughs> say Philip Rivers is behind that line I saw I got a fun stat for you about uh, about the Colts this year Ronan given you're you're, you're much higher on them uh, did you know that Philip Rivers has one rushing attempt this year uh, one QB sneak for three yards that is how good he is at moving behind that line. <laughs> well, that that's the secret to, to the winning in Indianapolis. If they have issues at tackle, which they almost certainly will, given Costanzo's out, which is you have one of the best interior set of offensive linemen in the league. Um, so you should probably uh, take uh, J Train Taylor out there and just <laughs> run him into the ground. And uh, yeah, I think... Uh, keep it away from Philip Rivers as much as possible. Obviously, in the playoffs, you're playing good teams. I don't know if you'll get away with that, but uh, if I was the Indianapolis Colts right now, I'd be uh, probably going, 
yeah, Philip Rivers, we'll keep him away. And, you know, the fact that they're bringing their backup in all the time, uh, Jacoby Brissett, uh, in red zone situations and short yardage situations, uh, you know, I suppose that's cool because New Orleans did it, but it just feels a little less planned in the Colts case and more mm. of a desperation move. Uh, back to Yari, he's obviously a huge loss at left tackle for Green Bay, but uh, I suppose we kind of trust that Aaron Rodgers and those guys can figure it out uh, and still be relevant. But, you know, against a really good defense, like, say, New Orleans, if that was the NFC Championship game, maybe that's the kind of factor that could end up being uh, the small difference that makes the difference there. And uh, Olivia Vernon's had a really good season, so that's really worrying for Cleveland and obviously just another big smack in their face for, <laughs> the, you know, their great return back to the playoffs. Yeah, Tampa Bay have had a couple of injuries. Well, these these are the non-season-ending ones, but will probably impact playoffs. Uh, Mike Evans, wide receiver for Tampa Bay, has injured his knee and he's week-to-week. Jamal Adams, the safety for the Seahawks, has injured his shoulder. And Jerron Reed, the defensive tackle for the Seahawks, has got an oblique strain, so they're both week-to-week. In Chicago, have both Roquan Smith, their linebacker, and Darnell Mooney, their wide receiver, out uh, with an elbow and an ankle injury, respectively. So... These are all playmakers. Tampa Bay, look, they have a load of weapons at wide receiver, and Antonio Brown has actually been playing pretty well for them. So that's probably more weatherable. The Seattle Seahawks defense has been playing nicely on the back stretch, and that's a bit of a shock to them, particularly seeing as they seem to have gone away from the let Russ Cook try and win games with offense approach. Right, John? Or right, uh, Roland? Yeah, like like Jamal Adams, it's a shoulder injury. After the game, Pete Carroll said that the trainer said that he could play um but there's still obviously a lot of time to go between now and 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 uh, and the weekend to see whether he'll be ready to go or not jerron reed uh based on what i've read less optimistic that he can make this weekend uh but even if jamal Adams plays he will probably be limited somewhat or perhaps should play more limited but uh yeah i think in a game that we expect on wildcard weekend to be very tense very tight then you know jamal Adams being out could be the difference there um, so yeah, as a Seattle fan, not exactly happy with these, especially considering that game ended up being a bit of a, a dead rubber given what is happening elsewhere in the league. And John, this Chicago injuries, like they were already a bit of a hot and cold team. Do you think this will have a big impact on them or are they just kind of mercurial that they'll, they'll either win or lose regardless of who's run out there? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think it's not going to make much of a difference. They're, they're playing the Saints, and the Saints are much better than them, and they haven't looked great. I mean, they've been winning games, but they still haven't looked great. Um, I mean, it takes away options, I suppose, um, in regards to the, the, the loss of Mooney at wide receiver anyway. But, I mean, yeah, I I think they're, beat, they're going to be beaten regardless if they had everybody available. So I don't think Fair enough, fair enough. Fair um, enough. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I suppose, like you know, if 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 uh, if Kamara is out, it gives him a bit more of a chance. But yeah, like not having Rokon Smith is going to be uh, difficult for them. Mooney was kind of their what third option on that offense anyway. So we'll see, we'll see. And uh, Kansas City, they had uh, cornerback DeAndre Baker, who they picked up uh, in the off or during the season, the ex. Uh, New York Giants player uh, had a really horrible leg injury, so he's basically shattered, like broke his femur in two. So he's gone for the season. And uh, linebacker Willie Gay, who be, the rookie who had been working his way into rotation there and had been playing a lot more snaps, has a high ankle sprain, so he's out for two to four weeks now. Casey have a week off, so maybe Gay will be back for their uh, divisional round, but uh, I'd say probably more look for him further on if the Chiefs manage to make it past that level. We had a couple of uh, transactions as well. Washington have uh, extended their centre chase Roulier. Uh, does he use the French one or is it Rolier? Like, 
I think it's Rulier. Yeah, uh, just you know, Americans sometimes decide to take names from other languages and then make them their own. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, four years, forty-five million with nineteen million guaranteed. Baltimore extend cornerback Jimmy Smith one year, five million, two million guaranteed. And uh, Robbie Gould, the kicker for San Fran, two years, seven point two five million, all guaranteed. Um, and Kenny Stills has made it onto the Buffalo practice squad apparently. So that's uh, that's fun. Um, Few of these make sense. Washington, if they like the center, that's a pretty decent price for a center. Baltimore are paying basically nothing for Jimmy Smith. Uh, and yeah, I'd like yeah, Robbie like, Gould. That seems a lot for a kicker, but I've kind of lost the run of where kickers' contracts are at these days. Yeah, like I mean, he had a bad game against uh, Arizona a couple of weeks ago, but was fine this week. So, look, I think you know, with kicker, it's just one of those things you don't want to screw up, and they're happy enough that he's not a screw up. So whatever. Um, like Jimmy Smith is a former kind of CB1, but obviously due to injuries, he's kind of lost that status. And Marlon Humphrey's the big guy there in Baltimore. But yeah, I think being somewhere you're comfortable, you can play on a one-year contract and then hopefully get re-signed or potentially get a free agency contract somewhere else. And Chase Roulier, by PFF standards, is fine. And for Washington, they're not a team that's exactly uh, wanting for much cap space. So mm. why not sign the decent, worthwhile players that you have and keep them in-house? Uh, especially given what you overpay in free agency for a similar type player. Yeah, makes sense. Um, Kenny Stills, wasn't he the one... He's been on like multiple teams this year, hasn't he? Uh, no, so he was released by the Texans um, because they didn't need wide receivers until... Oh, and then all their suspended. wide receivers died. That's it, James. <laughs> and look, he, he, he was a solid third option. Um, I think, obviously, the Buffalo Bills, they've had some wide receiver injuries, most notably to, to John Brown. Um, so I think having an extra op, deep option is always useful for, for Josh Allen. Uh, but I you know, I don't expect him to, to, to be much of a factor for them, but it's good depth um, considering for a, a playoff relative, for a playoff team, you know? Yeah, makes sense. Um, crime and punishment, what are they doing? It's probably felonies. Uh, Vegas running back Josh Jacobs was arrested on a DUI after having a crash, apparently. Jacob's lawyers have entered a not guilty key and are saying that they reckon that he will win the case, but of course they would say that. Um, late after hours, after not being able to make it to the postseason, drunk decides to drive around. Like, this is always our conversation when this happens. These guys are millionaires. The teams literally provide people who will drive and drop them anywhere to avoid this kind of shit. Like... What the fuck is wrong with them? Well, look, he, he crashed the car, so no matter what happened, he was probably doing something dumb because he was driving at 4.42 a.m. So <laughs> either he was drunk and tired or tired, um, and neither of those are good things to be doing at, I assume, was a non-trivial speed uh, on, on a, in, in the, uh, I think it was the Las Vegas airport tunnel. Um, so look, like he, his lawyers are saying they did, there's no blood tests, uh, there's been no complaint filed, so this will go away. Um, the fact that they're so bullish um, gives the indication that maybe that they genuinely think that this is going to go away and there will be no consequences. The team seems to be kind of erring that way as well. But regardless, he seems to have gone to a crash in, you know, non, let's say, somewhat slightly unusual circumstances. Um, and if he gets away with, with no further consequences and the minor injuries he picked up, he'll be a, a lucky boy in, indeed. Yeah, of course. Uh, on, on, on your general point, Connor, I mean, I would say that you're giving young men lots of money and especially young men who probably like flashy cars and they're not going to be told what to do. I mean, you can in theory say, yeah, we'll drive around the place, but these are people who, you know, 
they want to drive the flashy cars and then they want to have their their party moments and they want to be the man and i mean i can understand why they wouldn't want to be you know have a chauffeur to drive them around like some old guy no i suppose i suppose yeah just if they want to buy more fancy cars in the future they should probably not be caught driving (laughs) at night and crashing cars um yeah anyway yeah that's just i'm getting too old myself sean i just don't understand the appeal of a drunken supercar race down to the airport through the tunnel anymore um well what happens in vegas stays in vegas you know well, unless it's federal um the next up is just a few little small bits uh, washington linebacker thomas davis is retired after 16 seasons he spent most of his career in carolina he has three pro bowls and he won walter payton man of the year in 2014 and uh, Atlanta quarterback Matt Schaub retires after 17 seasons. He was a starter in Houston for a little while, and he had two Pro Bowl appearances. Matt Schaub was in two Pro Bowls. Two well, Pro those, Bowls. Those Texans wow. teams, you know, when, when you think of like say Kirk Cousins today, those were the prototype of, you know, uh, you know, uh, like uh, mediocre quarterbacks being elevated by the the zone blocking scheme, where Arian Foster is literally carrying the entire team. But yeah. because of that, the play action is just hyper effective. And, you know, Schaub, I, I think these are appearances rather than selections. So I think this was probably after a few Tom Brady <coughs> the like, dropped out of, of contention for the Pro Bowl. But uh, he was at the Pro Bowl twice. I think he was the MVP of the Pro Bowl one year. So he is truly a, a great player. Uh, Thomas Davis. It's clearly know, just down to coaching then that he never made it in the regular season. And look, Thomas Davis was a, was a great player during his prime. Um, you know, I think he's probably more of a Ring of Honor candidate than a, than a you know, a Hall of Fame candidate. But uh, certainly with the length of career he had and statistics he had and, you know, the Pro Bowls, he, he might have an outside chance at some point. But uh, certainly Carolina will be putting him in the Ring of Honor uh, very quickly, I imagine. Yeah, very good. I'm sure with that, I suppose we'll go over and we'll have a look at the games from last week. Okay, so first up, Pittsburgh at Cleveland, 22-24. to 24. Uh, Baker scrambles for the first down and secures Cleveland's first uh, playoff berth in 18 years. He had 240 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they were kind of coasting this, and then Pittsburgh surged and scored 13 unanswered points to bring this back into contention, but then they missed a uh, two-point conversion. Uh, Cleveland's DBs kind of had a lot of fun with Rudolph. He was not great until that back end. Like, Rudolph just, he seems like a very stupid person to be playing quarterback. <laughs> uh, I think I text a few of you guys during the game. They were going up and they were down by two and they needed a two-point conversion to tie it. And he had to go off and, like, chat to the shout at the sidelines to figure out whether or not they were going for two after the touchdown when they were down by two points with, like, 30 seconds left. Like, that's not a smart man. Uh, Chubb did his thing, 108 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Claypool went over 100 yards, and so and Johnson was just short of it. But, like, look, Cleveland looked okay in this. They were really coasting, and then they kind of fell back, and I don't know if they were getting complacent or if Pittsburgh decided to really step up to them or whatever, or maybe try out some concepts in advance of the fact that they're going to be playing each other again shortly. It's a good win. It's a win that felt... Like, it should have been by more than the two points. But also, it does worry me looking at this Cleveland team perform like this. And yes, they're missing a few starters versus what is essentially, you know, half a team of of seconds in Pittsburgh. Yes, I mean, the important thing here is is the win. That I mean, they needed to get into the playoffs and and the psychological aspect of it, the inferiority complex needed to be overcome. I mean, the fact that this was, uh, this is a ridiculous stat. This is the 
this is the first time Cleveland have won in week 17 in 11 years. Oh like, this, this is how historically bad this franchise is. That even meaningless week 17 games, they haven't been winning for about a decade. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, the, it's not a great look when you can only beat a, a team without many of their starters. I mean, it, I mean, in, a, in the excuse, Pittsburgh didn't rest all that many players. I mean, Roethlisberger was out. Some of the, some of the big defensive names are out, but their entire wide receiving core was available. Um, people like um, Fitzpatrick uh, in the defensive end were playing. So it was, it was, it was kind of half resting, but even still to only beat them by, by two points is, is not a, a great look. They were up about 15 at one point and looked comfortable enough. They'd kind of, they had a tight first half and then the third quarter kind of pulled away. But then, I mean, I think the Cleveland defense, there are some questions need to be asked. I mean, Mason Rudolph literally has only one throw that he can do, which is the, the long fade. And, you know, they knew that's what he was going for. They knew Claypool was going to be the one he was going to be targeting. And yet still they managed to get, I think, about four or five really kind of good long throws, including kind of two touchdowns to, to pull them in. Claypool did have a good game and kind of showed his, his um, showed his stuff a bit more than he's been allowed to in the last few weeks, given the way the Steelers um, play. Um, the Steelers kind of, the defense was getting into it as well. But, I mean, we got to give props that when the, the chips were down, Baker Mayfield stepped up. I mean, he had a number. He didn't throw all that many great, you know, throws, but he had a number of important runs. Um, and one, I think, for about maybe 30 yards or so, and also the, the kind of the game-clinching run. Also, a monster game by the Browns' O-line. There were times when Baker had about seven or eight seconds to make decisions, so so good on them. So it, it's it's a win. That's the main thing. Um, coming back next week, can they now beat a full-strength Steelers side without their head coach? I mean, it's an entirely other question. But but for the moment, the win is the given If you haven't been in the playoffs for 18 years, the win is really, I'm <laughs> sure, for Cleveland fans, all that matters. There was um, just, just a fun fact for you that you might enjoy. Um, Colin Cowherd, the, 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 the commentator, back in the day referred to Baker Mayfield as a Mazda and Sam Darnold as a Maserati. And the play call for that one where he ran for the first down to seal the win was called Maserati. And I don't think that was by mistake. <laughs> yeah, like Baker is a bit of a character in fair. Like I think, you know, having him in the playoffs is more is more fun, I suppose, overall. Uh, I think, you know, the, the only hope for Cleveland based on this in terms of, you know, Pittsburgh getting their starters back in next week is that, you know, Robert Jackson, the DB, the, the fill-in DB for Cleveland was picked on all day by these elite wide receivers. They hopefully get Denzel Ward after being put on the COVID list this week. Maybe he can, you know, they don't need, I don't think the defense necessarily to be the greatest defense in the world against Pittsburgh next week, but they just need to not give up these huge plays, not give up these, uh, you know, basically easy wins. And uh, I think, you know, they might be in competition still, but yeah, for Cleveland, they should have won this game easily, but it's the Browns, so I suppose inevitably it was never going to end up that way. No, of course. Tennessee at Houston, 41-38. to 38. Uh, Yeah, this was an odd one. Brown, 151 yards and a touchdown. Absolutely burns Houston. Uh, so they kind of get a walk-off doink touchdown from... Yeah, it was just... This was a game where I, was just, I just didn't know what to look at at any given time. Like, <laughs> okay, Henry's going to go for his big 
like, you know, over 200 yards, two touchdowns, kind of, this is great. And then Watson just goes, look, I know this is irrelevant. I know my team is terrible and I know there's no point to this. So I'm going to try and throw for like nearly 400 yards and three touchdowns and try and single-handedly bring this back, even though I'm now also like down to just Cooks as a wide receiver and no one else. Like it was, ah, it was, it was mad. Henry gets his 2000 yards from scrimmage, which is amazing. Um, I think the only people to hold a rushing title in back-to-back years in the history of the NFL. Everyone who has that two years in a row has gone to the Hall of Fame. Tannehill had a good game, 250 yards, three touchdowns, solid. But like, again, the same kind of problems haunted them as has beforehand. A lot of penalties, a lot of mistakes in there. Um, Slightly ill-disciplined at times, but whenever they get going, they are very efficient. But you got to be worried. you got to be worried giving up 38 points to... Yes, Watson is good, but they have one wide receiver, maybe two at a stretch. Like they had, they 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 gave up over a hundred yards to the corpse of of David Johnson. Like this is this is a worrying defense for a team that wants to be ground and pound and then just keep the lead. Uh, and it, it would worry me going into the playoffs a little bit. Yeah, like to to a certain extent, this kind of felt inevitable. Even when Tennessee were were well in control of this game. Um, you're kind of going well, like <clears throat> maybe they'll 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 get this out. Maybe King Henry can finish this off. But you know they had a, a number of mistakes. They had some flags, some of which were a little bit sketched. To be honest, uh, I wouldn't be completely. I think there was a a touchdown for Henry that probably shouldn't have been called back. But you know overall, Houston, it is a one man show. Deshaun Watson's literally just heaving it up to Brandon Cooks over the inept. Tennessee secondary even David Johnson has had a, like a late season resurgence to get over 120 yards um, tr- running the ball and through the air and a touchdown as well so you know it is literally Deshaun Watson carrying a shit defense carrying a complete lack of talent objectively um, and just kind of doing his thing and yeah like it was a weird game but kind of in a way you'd expect for two teams that are very similar in many ways where the offense is basically completely carrying a defense um, like Henry just you know I, I, for some reason they didn't didn't seem to sell out to stop Henry like there was a one play that was highlighted where JJ Watt like went you know very deep into the backfield um, to get to Tannehill and basically left a massive hole for Henry to just walk for you know another 50 yard touchdown or so so you know that's the kind of thing where you're going like look if you can stop Henry then you can worry about Tannehill until then you know you should you know stay and you know make sure you set the edge because otherwise you end up with this ridiculous another like in their last two games they've given up over 200 yards to King Henry you know you should probably get the lesson by now I know Bill O'Brien's gone but you know maybe you could consider changing some of the play calling as well and yeah look for Tennessee they, they allow Tennessee like Houston back into this make it a 38 to 38 game at the end um, as Houston did fumble the ball away in the final drive this time but yeah they left you know 18 seconds on the clock and because houston are completely shit you know brown burns them for over 50 yards and then they get the doink field goal to 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 finish this game off so yeah it just felt like a very stupid game between two teams (laughs) that you know want to be solid or at least tennessee want to be solid and have been solid in previous years under brabo but right now you know, Tennessee just feel like the rich man's Houston, so it wasn't surprising that they end up having a stupid shootout, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the Titans are, are such a strange team. I mean, I, I have this kind of weird kind of idea, vision in my head of the Titans. I mean, because there's kind of a, they're a southern team, so in my mind, they should be like a smash-mouth, defense-first kind of grind-em-out teams. But they're, in fact, the exact opposite. They've got an amazing offense, 
not only Henry, Tannehill has developed, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable that this is the same guy who had the name Tannehill when he, uh, at the Dolphins. A.J. Brown is an immense talent, but their defense is absolutely awful. Like, they, they just can't stop anybody. The, the Titans were up uh, at one point in this game, 31-16, so they're 15 points, two scores up, chasing a division title. You've got a you've got the best running back in the game to run the clock down. This should be it should be elementary. It should be the easiest game in the world to close out from that point. And they went from 31-16 down up to 35-31 down. They they allowed the they just kept conceding points. They allowed the Texans to score 19 points unanswered in week 17, fighting not only for a playoff spot but for a division title. I mean. It's unbelievable, and it got, it speaks to how good this offense is that they still end up 11-5 and five because their defense is getting worse uh, week after week. In terms of Houston, I mean, it's, it's Deshaun Watson all the time, and I mean, I know he's stuck there because of his contract, but goddamn, if you can find a way to get out Deshaun Watson, get out now. Um, this team is going nowhere, and <laughs> this is going to be your life for the next five years to carry this awful team in, in shootouts that eventually are going to lose because your team can't stop their offense either. Yeah, next up, Green Bay at Chicago, uh, 35 to 16. Uh, <clears throat> Rodgers just has another quiet yet very effective day, 244 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, they get the number one seed. They probably wrap up the MVP for Rodgers with that. Mitch Trubisky tried, <laughs> I suppose is the best I can say. 274 yards and interception. Uh, but yeah, like... You know, they failed fourth down conversions. They had the interception. Robinson was shut down. Montgomery, like, there was proper sweats when he went down early on because he was literally all they were trying to do on offense, like 132 yards and a touchdown for him. Uh, the Chicago defense just wasn't stepping up in the right spots. Like, they were getting some pressure on uh, on Rodgers and that stuff, but, like, it almost felt like that they knew that they were doing it in vain, that their offense just wasn't going to be able to keep up pace. It just wasn't a day for the Chicago offense at all. And the defense was just left underperforming because of that. Green Bay looked great. They looked balanced. Uh, the fact that they got the running back backs so didn't have to rely on the rookie as much this time around means that you can now see they've got two very good options coming out of that backfield, if not three. Um, Green Bay look every bit the you know, first place in the NFC at the moment. Even though there's not a ton separating some of the ones at the very top, they look well-oiled and ready to roll. Yeah, I mean, this is just a talent differential. I mean, the, the Packers are just a much better team than the Bears. Even though the Bears, I mean, they kind of hung around. The first half was close up until the end, and then the Bears got back within five at one point. Um, but you always kind of felt that Rodgers had it in his arsenal to pull it away. Um, the MVP is locked in right now. He, I think 47 touchdown passes, uh, even taking into account all the, the drops by, by um, Marquise Van Vasquez Scantling. Um, so, I mean, the, the Packers look strong. They've got the number one seed. They, every team, the team, the NFC team is going to have to go to Lambeau to win, and the, the weather is going to be a huge factor, especially for the dome teams uh, like Tampa Bay uh, and New Orleans if they have to go there. For Chicago... I mean, it's 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 not good news on either side of the ball, really. Trubisky has definitely improved since winning his job back. He's definitely much better than he was earlier in the season. But you do feel he's still a little bit short when he comes up uh, in these kind of games against elite teams where he's supposed to kind of deliver. He does. You don't feel that he ever does deliver. I don't think he's the long-term answer for the Bears um, at all. And the defense, I suppose, is even more worrying that they're not quite standing up. I mean, they did. I did say at one point um, in an earlier pod that they were a top ten 
defense. They have just about, I think, made it to the top. They're like the ninth team, ninth best defense in terms of uh, maybe yardage or points. One of them, but not the other. Um, but yeah, 35 points um, to uh, a Packers offense that, you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's got the best player in the league or the MVP of the league. Um, but I mean, still, you know, fighting for your playoff life, you expected a bit more from them. So, I mean, the Bears, I think, are done next week when they run into the Saints, but the Packers may take some stopping, especially since they have Lambeau um, to, to fall back on. No, of course. Arizona at the Rams, 7-20 team. We mentioned some of this in the news. The LA Rams defense just did the job here. Safety, touchdown, interception, four sacks, held them below 200 yards. They absolutely pummeled Kyler, and he left with an injury early on. And uh, Streveler, is that how we say it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was... Um, he looked like as a drive. <laughs> yeah, he was. He wasn't. He wasn't terrible. He just wasn't. You know, you know, he wasn't a starting level quarterback. But you know, it, it, they have to do it. The LA Rams stand in actually looked pretty decent. John Walford, two hundred eighty-seven yards in interception. He didn't do a ton, but like he looked fine. Um, yeah, like this was a nothing game really. With the injury to Kyler, it was kind of just one-sided. The Rams defense did the job. Like the offense didn't have to do a wild pile for them anyway. Um, there's not much yeah. to say apart from like, look, on the base of this, you wouldn't want to see Arizona in the playoffs, like you said, in case they played injured players like Kyler and got them in trouble. The Rams, I just don't know what to make of them. Like I said, like they they are the team that I got the most wrong in my preseason predictions for where they were going to be. And I still don't think that they deserve to have as many wins as they do. Yeah, like, like they're a team that is where an elite defense is carrying a so-so offense and... That was basically the entire story of this game, and very similar to the, you know, San Francisco games recently, where their defense has been winning games for C.J. Beathard. John Wolford was basically carried here, and to be honest, John Wolford may be better than Jared Goff, but that says more about what Jared Goff does on the field than what John Wolford does. John Wolford at least has kind of a, you know, he can get out of the pocket, he can scramble a bit, make some yards with his legs. That was nice to see, but overall, you you saw some head scratching plays from him, especially early on. Um, so, you know, it's hard to judge him given that the D was doing so much of the work for him. You know, when you're when you're got like, you know, nearly all of the, the majority of your points are coming from the defense. That's just not a great situation to be in. And yeah, I think, you know, you know, the Rams, they're a, they're a well-coached team. They just don't have a quarterback. We'll see if that can go further than the wildcard round uh, or any further than that in the, in the playoffs. I generally don't think they're a real contender in the NFC. And as for Arizona, we talked about it last week. You know, it's Cliff Kingsbury, one of the most overrated coaches in, in the NFL. Without Kyler in this game, his entire, you know, genius offensive mind did absolutely nothing. Um, they were pathetic. Um, with Streveler and they can go backups are bad but you know I do genuinely think that you know this is a team that has been carried by a handful of superstar players doing you know amazing things and I would have significant concerns as a Cardinals fan that you know they may have been sold a lame duck here but uh, given the record he'll be around for another year we'll see if he can change my mind yeah uh, Washington at Philly 20 to 14 this was difficult to watch uh, so difficult in fact that I didn't stay up for it I recorded it and then I watched it on fast forward um, it was not very good uh, NFC's battle was won uh, Smith had a like 
like, what do you even make of a stat line of 160 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions? Like, it's just, yeah, it's terrible. Gibson had an okay day, 81 yards. They just used a lot of the running backs and were able to get it done that way. The defense was good. Two interceptions, a forced fumble, three sacks, and only 200 yards allowed. Um, this was a remarkably close game into, like, the third quarter, maybe even into the fourth. Um, and then Philly decided, and I'm sure, Sean, you're going to want to expand on this as you were mentioning it earlier. Philly decided to swap Jalen Hurts out for Sudfield um, and then just shit the bed with this guy on the roster. It was a, like, what we've heard from the management is that they wanted to see what Sudfield looked like, even though he's been on the roster for a while. We've heard like that they wanted to put themselves in a position to win, even though they didn't even call plays in a way to win. They were down by a couple of points, was it what? They were down by a score. And they decided to, instead of like start throwing deep balls, they started throwing like four yard outs and stuff like that. That clearly, you know, it's not like they were swapping him because he's a bigger arm or something because he was throwing five yard outs. So that doesn't make any sense. Even in the last play of the game, they didn't even try a lateral on it. They just ran it up the gut for no yardage at all like this was a Philly team that got into this game and decided once it got to the end of the third quarter we would rather a better draft position and we are going to intentionally tank this game as much as we can and that like it was it was it was awful to watch yeah I mean just when you thought the NFC East couldn't get any more farcical we've had the, the two games that we've had uh, this week and I'll talk about the other game uh, in a little bit I mean this was I mean, you'd miss it all the same. I mean, I mean, we're going to miss this division when it gets back to being somewhat competent. Um, the one downside to this is that Washington managed to get to seven wins, which means this is not the historically worst division winner of all time. They're, they're tied with uh, some random Seahawks team from like, 10 years that was ago. The, that was uh, the Beast so. Quake team. Mm. Um, yeah, interestingly, there, there have been two seven-win teams in the playoffs from having won their divisions. Uh, Carolina did it as well. Uh, and both of them actually won their wildcard game. So uh, interesting history behind this. Um, yeah, I mean, Washington, this was a, probably a defensive win more than anything else. Chase Young had a pretty great game. The offense didn't have an awful lot going about it. I think we're finally in the stage of Alex Smith's comeback that we can start to talk about uh, how the injury has affected his game and what he's lost. He's definitely lost all of his mobility, which was uh, not insignificant part of his game. He still has the experience, obviously, um, and he has still the eye for a good pass. But the Philly defense, I mean, they really, they, their second-half adjustments in terms of exploiting Smith's complete inability to move um, was quite ineffective. The Washington offense just stopped functioning uh, in the second half. Philly were down by three points um, uh, coming into the about 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Jalen Hurts had shown both sides of his game. He had some great running early on. He had some pretty throws. He also had a poor read at one point that led to interception. But Philly were in the game. They were fighting. Their defense was winning the battle. Hurts was looking dangerous. They looked like they were going to get out of a win. And then, I don't know, Doug Peterson decides to just troll the entire league. I don't know if it's, it's a giant fuck you to Carson Wentz. I don't know if it's a giant fuck you to the New York Giants. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if they just decided they just didn't care anymore. But he literally he takes off a quarterback playing well and takes some random guy off the street. I mean, honestly, the average NFL fan could have been as functional um, as Sudfeld was um, to play 
quarterback in the fourth quarter. He had an interception, and then he had a fumble, uh, and he didn't do anything else, uh, and the game was dead. The offense, the faces, I mean, there was some talk, even the commentators were like, you can see on the faces of the offensive line that they are not happy about the fact that they've just thrown this game away. For To rise three spots in the draft um, is uh, it's, uh, appalling. Like, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to, to say about it. Uh, it was an absolute joke. Um, but Washington go to the playoffs, and I mean, next, yeah, the big thing I think is next year that the Giants are going to absolutely murder, like physically try and kill the Eagles when they play them in their two games next year because, it, you know, whatever about Philly and Dallas being the big rivalry, I think we may have just set off a massive Eagles-Giants rivalry um, that will last a few years uh, as well because of this. I mean, just, yeah, it was just terrible. Yeah, the... uh the should be shot for it, really. The Giants tweeting about the Philadelphia stuff was uh, pretty intense, but they've now shut it down as of today. And uh, I believe it was their coach who kind of delivered the big heavy blow. And he said, uh, you know, you play this game to win. You don't play it to lose. And I'll tell you something, nothing like that will ever happen while I'm head coach here in New York. Like, And that was their final word in it to Philly. Just like, <laughs> fuck you guys. Um, Jacksonville and Indianapolis, 14 to 28. Indianapolis sneak into the playoffs. They didn't have a very good game here, to be honest. Like, like I said, Jonathan Taylor had a fucking ball of a game, 250 yards and two touchdowns. But like their offense didn't look great. Their kicking wasn't good. The Jacksonville Jaguars came back and made this a game, which really shouldn't be happening. Although perhaps they are less about the tanking now that they're guaranteed the first overall pick. Rivers had 160 yards, a touchdown and interception. Uh, Glennon, 261 and two touchdowns. Like the defense couldn't do anything like this was this was just like this was just a placeholder for Indianapolis were going to get into the playoffs probably um, they didn't do it in convincing fashion I like the rookie Taylor I don't think Rivers is playing well and I think he's holding them back and uh, yeah if anything this makes me think that they are more likely to just get turfed in the first round. Yeah, and it's unusual, you know, after a bad week, you know, and they were obviously up against the Steelers last week and then collapsed completely. You would have thought, you know, hey, guys, make sure not to collapse this week. And then they nearly went ahead, went ahead and did it anyway. Um, they were up by 20 points uh, near the end of the second half here based on a spectacular showing by Jonathan Taylor. And then they kind of just kind of took a quarter off, a quarter and a half off. They stopped getting, you know, yards. They when the few drives that they did get going that were actually any good ended up with missed field goals, which is unusual because Blankenship's been pretty good this year. And he just slowly but surely let Jacksonville get within one score of them um, as they went late into this game. And it was only because Jonathan Taylor decided to wake up again, um, or maybe the coaching decided to wake up again, that they managed to pull out a, you know, a, what looks like a fairly comfortable lead in the end of this. But yeah, if you're a Colts fan and you're kind of ha- just watching what happened last week you're kind of going what the hell is going on with this team and you know you saw a lot of Brissette being brought in to replace Rivers back and forth and there's just no confidence that if this team ends up in a tough situation many points behind that they'll be able to do it Um, and even if they're in a close game that they just lack that killer edge and you know just and, and i kind of said you know about you know two months ago if they got the run game going these this is a team you should watch out for and they have got the run game going but everything else on this and this team including the defense seems to have kind of haywired to some extent or another at least in large portions of games that will be too costly when the games matter 
And yeah, look, like, so yeah, I don't know about the Colts, but we'll talk about them more in the preview, I suppose. But like, yeah, and for Jacksonville, like Mike Lennon, you know, uh, Minshew's more fun, but Lennon has been okay. He's probably earned himself a backup role um, around the league for another few years. But, you know, the D defense was pathetic when it mattered in this game, despite having a, you know, a slight fillip in the third quarter. And yeah, for Jacksonville, it's a complete rebuild go- incoming and uh, we'll see how the new GM and coach get that going. But basically anyone who's on that team right now is probably up for being traded, cut uh, or removed in any way possible. Yeah, um, so Seattle at San Francisco, 26 to 23. Your guys took it, but just about fits. Yeah, very sleepy game for the majority of it with 34 of the total points here coming in the fourth quarter. Seattle just kind of basically decided to show up um, even though at that point New Orleans were way ahead and the game was actually meaningless. Um, so yeah, Russell Wilson, 210, two touchdowns. He's a bit out of sorts, to be honest. Um, but the defense did most of the work against, let's be honest, a very limited uh, CJ Beathard. Um, he had like 273, a touchdown, a forced fumble. Uh, but Jeff Wilson kind of was the solid back here, 88 yards, two touchdowns. But most of that was actually in garbage time. So like Seattle, they're kind of been in a funk for what feels like over a month now. Still nothing confident coming from this game and San Francisco despite all of their issues they've had over the back end have had some pretty you know decent results given their their backload and I imagine that they should be a scary looking team in 2021 when they get back to being healthy uh interesting to know who'll be a quarterback though but we'll we'll talk about that in the offseason yeah Sean your love for the NFC is as well known Dallas is the Giants 19 to 23 yeah ugly ugly game that that gave us all that you know, it was the perfect NFC East uh, game, um, ultimately pointless as well, which, which I think really kind of under, underlines it. I mean, the, the, they fought really hard in the hope that Washington would lose. The Giants got the win and would have been in uh, had, the, had Washington lost, um, but they didn't. The, the Giants didn't play particularly well. They had a number of um, turnover woes. Um, Jones had an interception. And a forced fumble, uh, but he still had two, two touchdowns, 246 yards. Shepard had a very good game, 136 uh, and two touchdowns. Um, Dalton was very mad, 291 and an interception. He didn't really do much, and then the interception killed the game right at the end. Um, Zeke had a, was a, looked a little bit sprightly for a while, um, although they, they, he doesn't really reflect it in the yardage, but um, he only had about 60 yards of total all-purpose. But he definitely looks a bit more in the game and then before I mean two things I mean three things to kind of that came out of this in terms of this firstly Dallas kind of threw this game away by not challenging there was a catch near the end of the fourth quarter with um, the Giants up by a point that what a catch that absolutely was not a catch McCarthy didn't challenge it it put the Giants in field goal range they gave themselves a four-point lead that meant the Cowboys had to score a touchdown on the final drive rather than a field goal they got into field goal range but they kept pushing it and then Dalton threw the interception um, the second thing then is the ridiculous ending that the Giants were trying to run out the clock and Goldman fumbled and somehow recovered the ball by, by sitting um, on it um, and still took 15 minutes for the refs who had a massive falling out um, over whose ball it was. Um, just very NFC East the end. And then finally we got the return of the Troy Aikman's sad commentator voice. Um, I think we've gotten it four or five times um, this this year, every time we watch the Cowboys, he starts off really positive. This is the game. We're going to turn around and everything's going to work. And by the end, he's just he's just given up. Um, I mean, it's his heart, his Cowboy fan heart has been broken a number of times this season. Um, and this franchise, the Cowboys, I mean, honestly, I'm getting to the point that given the news that come out about their offensive coordinator getting shitloads of money thrown at them, um, 
earlier this week. Um, I mean, I think until Jerry Jones dies, this team is not going anywhere because of the, the management structure is just constantly making terrible decisions. Um, and yeah, there's going to have loads of six and ten seasons, I think, for, for a good long while and for the rest of it. Exciting times. Finally, Miami at Buffalo, 26 to 56. Um, the death of hope for Miami. Uh, they flame out of the playoff hunt as the Buffalo Bills decide, as I believe I predicted last week, they really wanted that second seed. Uh, they decided to completely daddy dick Miami, uh, winning by 30 points here. Allen, 224 yards, two touchdowns and interception. Uh, Buffalo just humiliate Miami to a. Uh, Put up some decent yardage numbers at 389, but like he only had one TD, three interceptions, did not look good. Their defense didn't do much, just an interception and one sack, uh, which is you unfortunate know, being that it's a defensive coach and they had so many big games um, in the in, in this season to kind of surprise ones to come out of it. Um, look, Buffalo looking great out of this, but Miami, like you got to worry about Tua, his development, whether he can actually be the player that they want him to be or because he hasn't looked it like he got pulled multiple times for Fitz. I think if Fitz was in this game, maybe he probably wasn't going to bring them a 50 points, but they'd be competitive. Um, Miami didn't look like a team that deserved a playoff berth in this game and they didn't get one. But I think this opens a lot of questions for what they're going to do in the offseason. But I suppose, look, we'll get to that in the offseason just for this game. Buffalo, big dick energy, Miami... Yeah, tiny even, penis even the energy. Were, even the backups were getting in on the action. They, they, the fact that Miami were getting humiliated even when the backups came in. That, that's how that the kind of game this was. Um, yeah, not fun. Anyway, uh, speaking, so we'll move up. We'll move over to to Fitz for the dump off now for the yeah. rest of the games. Speaking of humiliations, I suppose New Orleans at Carolina, thirty-three to seven. Breeze was fine. He had three touchdowns, only two hundred yards. As the really the Carolina's terrible run defense all year was exposed by Ty Montgomery in a fill-in role uh, with over hundred yards. Um, I think the big thing to take from it for this Carolina is that Teddy was awful. Two interceptions, both looked bad. PJ Walker came in, wasn't much better. He had a few picks as well. So I think if you're a Carolina fan, the biggest question in the offseason is who's going to play quarterback. But for New Orleans, without the running back room, they still dominated here. So um, win every game in the NFC side, actually, this year. So yeah. First time, I think. Yeah, first time ever. So move on move on to the playoffs. They look like a solid uh, team if Breeze is healthy. Uh, Baltimore at Cincinnati, 38-3. Baltimore wrap up their wildcard spot with utter run game dominance. Over 400 yards of rushing over Cincinnati uh, with Dobbins, Lamar, uh, both having uh, over 100 yards. Um, well, Lamar just below 100 yards. Just absolute domination. Allen had 50 yards and two interceptions. He was just smushed by Baltimore um, so look you know Cincinnati they're rebuilding Baltimore look very scary I won't, wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs Atlanta Tampa Bay 27 to 44 Brady basically continues his ownership of the Atlanta Falcons um, after a brief comeback from Atlanta in the third quarter he's snuffed out uh, by a four-quarter blitz as Brown and Godwin get open at will both over 100 both two touchdowns Ryan was solid to be fair but Overall, Atlanta are directionless right now. We'll see if the, the new direction involves Ryan and, and Julio and the like, or whether the new coach wants to do a full rebuild. Uh, Las Vegas at Denver, 32 to 31. What a done game as Las Vegas convert their two-point conversion this time to be the mirror version of the 2019 finale where they didn't make the two-point conversion. Um, this is a dumb game with lots of mistakes uh, from the quarterbacks, from the coaches. Carr had lots of yards, but he had two picks. 
Um, with Waller really being the only player, I'd say he was a good player on that you know, New London Las Vegas team. And look, Locke was a solid, um, but unspectacular once again. So for both these teams, major questions of what they're going to be doing going forward. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily want to be a fan of either of these two teams right now. The Chargers at Chiefs, 38 to 21. Uh, the Chargers eventually beat up on the Chiefs backups. 300 yards and three touches for Herbert. He's probably offensive rookie of the year. And a few nice catches from Mike Williams. Henny Hen Hen and uh, Thompson actually did okay. Um, they had fast starts, maybe slowed down as time went on. Um, but overall, outside of the uh, Willie Gay Jr. injury, uh, the main thing was to avoid any uh, further issues going there. So, look, the Chargers, they won four in a row, didn't save the job, but, uh, you know, I think you can be at least a little bit excited for them in the future. Minnesota at Detroit, another dumb game at 37 to 35. Minnesota shade the back and forth battle as Justin Jefferson both broke the uh, rookie record for yards in the season with 133 in this game. Alexander Madison looked pretty good and led to a lot of Hamilton jokes in our chat. And yeah, uh, Cousins threw a lot of yards, over 403 touchdowns, um, because it was a meaningless game against a team below 500. So he's amazing. Um, and Stafford looked okay in what could potentially be his final game in Detroit, finding Marvin Jones for 100 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and finally, the Jets at New England, 14 to 28. Our, our belief in the Jets, Connor, was on fulfilled as the New England get their final win then 7-9. They had some early woes in this game but Cam finally came around and had a pretty good stat line in the end over 300 yards, 3 touchdowns and a nice reception touchdown on a trick play while Darnold tanked his trade value, thanks Darnold, um, <laughs> and sent some really nice gifts to the, the New England secondary, uh, Jackson being the beneficiary there. Look, the Jets looked completely stayed and run out at this point and New England seem to just want to beat up on one of their old rivals for old time's sake and you know good for them I suppose. I don't know Sean do you want to have one final say in the New England corner before we move on to the next section? Uh, yeah frustrating season a lot of rebuilding to come who the quarterback is is going to be the big decision obviously as I said before Belichick's age and his energy is going to have to be questioned at this point but it's a, it's a massive overhaul even with the players coming back next year who opted out of this year they're still this is the least talented Patriots team over, not not just the loss of Brady, but overall the least talented Patriots team over the last 20 years. It's a massive rebuilding job, and uh, they're going to be a number of years before they're competitive again, especially if the Bills are as good as they seem to be and that, that division locked up for, for a while. Uh, with that, we'll move over to some questions from the listeners. So, guys, we'll go two quick questions here. Um, so the first one is... Do we think the extra team per division in the playoff is a success? Uh, so obviously we this year we've got the Colts and the Bears. We've yet to see them play. Um, I'd hazard a guess at no, but no, no. It's a success in the sense that more money will be generated, but in terms of more meaningful games, certainly not. I think we're, 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 we're lucky this year the AFC is so strong, but even given that Colts or Miami wouldn't have been a team that needed to be there, in my opinion, even given their record. Yeah, I mean, it's the the the, the AFC, an 11-5 and five team being the seventh seed, I think needs to be recognized as, as very much a statistical outlier. I think years going forward, we're more likely to get more 8-8 eight and eight teams mm -hmm. getting that seventh spot than an 11-5 team who would have otherwise uh, missed out. Um, yeah, I, I expect the Bears to be smashed next week, and I expect the Colts to to not do much better against the Bills. I mean, it is it's just money. It's it's yeah, it's it it serves no purpose other than to to you know um, generate more revenue. 
Yeah. I also, to be honest, I found the the estrogen coming in, the fact that then there's only one buy on the go. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if it would have changed how Pittsburgh would have played that last week and the fight for the second seed would probably be worth more and stuff as well. So I'm not sure how that impacts some of the rest of it. But yeah, I'd say overall, I'm not, I'm not mad impressed with it. We, yeah, we also, I mean, it also, I think, lowers the value of divisional wins. So there, there wasn't an awful lot of marquee games this week. For example, the reason that Sunday Night Football was Washington against Philly was because it was basically the only game where one team was in control of their destiny. Had it only been six seeds, the Titans and the Colts, their battle for the division would have been much more important because whoever lost wouldn't have made the playoffs. So, for example, the the Titans game against the Texans, which goes down to the last play, becomes a dramatic winning, um, not only of the division, but of a playoff spot. We don't get that um, now that you have the, the seventh seed um, as, as a fallback for say, the, the team that isn't going to get in there. So I think you're going to get less dramatic Week 17s as a result of this um, across the board as well. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, the other question we got in was, if you could take one of the open GM jobs, which would you take and why? And a follow-up of, would you refuse any? So just for context, the open GM jobs at the moment are Atlanta, Denver, Detroit, Jacksonville, Carolina, Houston, and Washington. Yeah, like I would probably refuse the Denver job. It definitely, as we mentioned in the news, feels like a poison chalice situation. I probably wouldn't take the Washington job because fuck Dan Snyder, basically. And I wouldn't be entirely enthused about the Atlanta or Detroit job simply because the first thing you're going to have to do is get rid of a franchise quarterback if you want to go that way or be have the expectations of already having a franchise quarterback who's not a Deshaun Watson type player who's like good but not you know amazing mm-hmm. um so for me that kind of leaves like probably Jacksonville by default as the one where you would come in have a lot of control over the things Shad Khan I'm a little bit sketching him I, I'm a bit worried he might want to have some Jerry Jones type influence but given that they have the number one overall pick that this is a full rebuild where you'll have multiple years to kind of get this right that's probably the job I would mm. take they've got as, as far as I understand I think if you take the Jacksonville job you get the first overall pick you've got 11 picks in this draft and you've got over 100 million in cap space so it's one that you yeah, can probably the cap, the cap is coming down, so the free agency could, in theory, be more interesting. Hmm. Yeah, but I think the problems with the Jags are, are there's a lot of structural problems with, with the Jags as a franchise. I mean, I, the point of comparison I always use when I think about the Jags uh, in, as their kind of historical existence is to compare them to the Carolina Panthers because they both came into existence uh, in, in 95, I think it was. They were both expansion teams in the same year. Um, the Panthers have had multiple winning seasons, two Super Bowl appearances, multiple NFC championships, and they've been competitive uh, most seasons. I mean, they've had one or two pretty bad years, but but you know that's just the general tumult. The Jags, I think, have been to they've been to the since I think they got to two early AFC championships. They had a really good team in the late '90s, I vaguely remember. But since I think 1999, so in 21 years, they've gotten to one AFC championship game. Um, and I think they've had maybe three winning seasons. Um, so there's the problems in the, in the Jags go much deeper than GM. And even though you have, say, the first pick and you have all these picks and uh, ability to recraft a franchise, I think there's probably deeper problems in the Jags that would want me out. For me, actually, I think the Carolina Panthers job looks quite interesting, not, not least because you have some good coaching staff there that you can actually kind of build around over time. 
Um, and they are there. There's you know there's there's not a tremendous amount of talent there right now, but you do have someone like McCaffrey, for example, yeah. who you can uh, can use for a while. So I I think the Panthers' job is what I'd want. I'd be wary. Also, I mean, obviously the Broncos' job you'd want to avoid um, um, because um, of the whole Elway management uh, issue, Washington because of Snyder. Um, but for me, I think be wary of Jacksonville. I think it's a poison chalice. Um, it may look appealing, but I think it's a, it's a death sentence for Adichie. Yeah, I think, I think it probably, probably, probably depends. Jacksonville depends a lot on who they bring in at the coach position as well. And I got a feeling, because I think we got a question on this for coaching as well, we might do that next week. But yeah, I think it depends more on the coaching. Atlanta is an interesting one because I think the problem with Atlanta is I don't know if they want to go full blow up or not. Um because like you know they've got pieces, but do you then like do you shift those pieces and start afresh? Do you get rid of Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, all these kind of players that you've got? Do you shop them and start afresh, or do you try and salvage it? Like I just I don't yeah. know what the approach should be there. Well, that's that's the like I think Atlanta and Detroit they're they're interesting challenges because I see I don't think I don't think Detroit have the players to have that same question. I would yeah, yeah. but like that, that that's the question. Like if you get rid of these players like like Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, you're saying we're doing a full rebuild. Will the will the fans and the uh, you know blank be willing to accept that Detroit similar if they choose to trade Stafford and like Carolina probably is the nicest easiest job I suppose the one knock against it is that you will probably have the least control I think Matt Rule will probably have the uh, most of the personnel control there he's kind of very influential there so if you're happy to kind of play second fiddle as GM Carolina is probably the nicest place to go. Yeah, fair enough. I hope that I hope that informs the listeners, and we'll go on to look at our picks for next week. So, just as we're coming into the pick section, we'll just flag uh, our preseason predictions for the regular season. Uh, as it stands, Ronan was significantly better than me on that. Uh, I was a hundred and one off what the actual results were, and Ronan was seventy three off. So. That was a big one. I got five of the records perfect, and I got three records out by seven, which is pretty terrible. Yeah, and I, I, I think we three. need to hi- highlight the uh, the Rams here, where Connor says they should have gone three and thirteen, and they ended up having a ten win <laughs> season. I think that one that one's a spectacular prediction. I stand over that. I still think that they have a, the fa- the fact that their random CFL quarterback stepping in might be a better choice than their starting quarterback leads me to always err towards. I'll give them three wins instead of ten. Yeah, and like, look, I had less perfect perfect selections, but my. Uh, my statistical shrinkage factor of being less, uh, I suppose, willing to go out there with big swings like Cincinnati and the Rams, where you got very wrong, uh, is probably why I win on average in these. But uh, yeah, like to be fair, you got more perfect this year. So obviously, there's some method to your madness. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, it depends, yes, yes. depends how you value being slightly wrong versus being very <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And uh, on our on our predictions for the year, um, I have come out on top with 167 uh, correct. So that gives me uh, 65.23% correct. And uh, fits your 165, not too far behind, only two games back at 64.45% correct. Um, when we adjust to bring Sean into, it's only from the point that Sean joined us. Uh, I have 133 correct Fitz is 133 correct and Sean unfortunately 124 uh, slow start yeah. to the first year but I'm sure I'm sure you can you can get Man. it back a lot of more to do yeah a couple of yeah a couple of hopeful picks as opposed to smart picks on my to be, fair, to be fair to him though like he said oh like the Jacksonville over the thing the Bengals beat them two weeks later like yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. did say that they were liable to be beaten by a bad team and they got beaten by Washington and the Bengals so. yeah yeah 
So it's a uh, fun times. And uh, just just so people know, our the most mentions. So this is like kind of items of discussion in uh, in in the podcast. Yeah, our so top. This- just, just to know what the rules are, this is if you played in a high-priority game, if you had a major news item about you, which included COVID this year, so the numbers were slightly inflated, and if you were one of our pick of the weeks, um, or a, like a major que- pick of the weeks for the previews, or, or a question subject individually as a team, or, or one of the answers we get for a question. Yeah, so our top ones this year were uh, Pittsburgh and Kansas City both had 22 mentions, and uh, Tennessee had 19, so uh, that's good. Uh, they're all relevant teams, and the least mentions were Carolina who had five and then New England Jacksonville and Denver who all had six uh, and we've just got an asterisk here Fitz has made a note to say that the New England number does not include Sean's Patriots corner discussions where he discusses the Patriots um, so that's just general <laughs> news <next> items <laughs> um, I gotta get them up to, to first place if they, they can't get they, first place in football, they can get first place on this podcast. In, in previous years, they have been up there at the top. So uh, I think I think last year the Ravens were the top one, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, sounds well, about right. Anyway, um, yeah. So we'll fly on in. We'll have a look at the uh, wild card game. So starting off with Indianapolis at Buffalo, uh, we've gone for Buffalo across the board. Like like we said, Buffalo just did a hell of a job there this week, absolutely destroying the Miami Dolphins. Their run game was looking good. Their pass game looked sharp. Their defense looked good. They were dunking on them with second and third stringers. Indianapolis, on the other hand, allowed Jacksonville back into a game. Yes, Jonathan Taylor played Yell. Yes, that run game is starting to go. But Phillip Rivers, against what is probably the worst defense in the league, had 150-odd yards. He threw an interception. He didn't do much at all for them uh, and as we said he's got no movement at all he's only had one rushing move at all uh, and this this buffalo defense is going to get after him i can't see past buffalo in this game uh i'm happy to be wrong because i've been down on indianapolis this whole year but i just can't see past buffalo yeah i mean they're just they're on incredible vein of form and i just don't like the colts uh, i think they're very one-dimensional in terms of the, the offense and the defense doesn't quite live up to the what, what small hype they've got behind them. The Bills, I mean, they're real, the Bills have a real momentum behind them. They're going to be a tough team to beat. I can see them I can see them being a challenge even in, in the AFC Championship game for the Chiefs, mm-hmm. uh, which I expected to have. Yeah, like, I think if Indianapolis are going to win this game, they're going to have to do it the, the old-fashioned way, I suppose. We have seen Johnson Taylor, uh, J-Train Taylor, as I'm just going to make a thing now, um, is, you know, you know, having a really good end to the season. That offensive line, which, you know, hasn't necessarily lived up to its hype in the preseason or in the offseason, you know, has come round and is making holes for him, and he is more than exploiting them. So if they can control the clock, um, run up a score, then... You know, even though they've given up in situations like that, like Pittsburgh, uh, you know, maybe they could their defense can actually turn around and hold on to a lead for once. I think for the Bills, you know, like I think they've been really good, but to a certain extent, I suppose because the fact that they've been stomping teams um, for such a long like period of time, basically for certainly the last month, you know, they haven't been in a tough close situation we saw last year for example you know that when the pressure was on against the very flawed houston team they did have those hiccups and we do know this is a this is a team that yes they they finally found some success but they do have some of those historical i suppose hang-ups as a team about trying to establish the bills as the legitimate afc east champion going forward you know for the next decade as they would probably hope so you know like i think you know on form i think you're both right you definitely have to pick buffalo but you know if the colts can get the run game going 
going if their defense can show up to the level that they have shown at times this year and they can just hide Philip Rivers then you know maybe they can get this done but yeah Buffalo will have to be favored here I think we're all going for them like if we think about it is there is there a route like what types of teams have beaten the Bills this season or at least ran them close well like. I, I think that the problem is that when they were losing games uh, earlier on in the year that was mostly due to their defense and their defense was giving up a lot of points for example in the, I think they lost to the Cardinals um, but I think over the last you know like month and a half down the back end the defense has stepped up significantly um, you know the teams they played the 49ers the Steelers the Broncos the Patriots the Dolphins you could argue that none of those are explosive offenses um, but of course we don't really think that Colts are an explosive offense either but you know if their defense is maybe somewhat of a paper tiger some of it has been maybe similar to the Seahawks has been buffeted by by not necessarily the strongest opposition then you know maybe that that's how they could lose like they did earlier in the season but you know I think given Sean McDermott's reputation we all kind of thought he would figure it out so I think we're for now willing to trust that 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 is what's happened and that they are now a good team on both ends of the ball but obviously a team that is you know driven by the Josh Allen air show um, which has been absolutely lights out for for well over uh most of the season at this point yeah uh next up we have the rams at the seattle seahawks me and ronan have gone for seattle sean you've gone for the rams uh one for the purists yeah i mean i just i mean i think the the seahawks i mean they've won they think they've won four straight now but they haven't been particularly convincing the the offense has kind of gone off the boil um a little bit and they're kind of been sputtering to the end the rams have an elite defense this is a divisional game. Divisional games are always always interesting in the sense that the teams know each other very well. Um, so they, they you can tell you know McVeigh and and his and his and his defensive team are going to going to have ways to get um, at Russ and the the offense. I mean, I just think that the Seahawks. I mean, it's odd. I kind of when we did the midseason predictions, I did take the Seahawks to win the NFC, and now I'm picking them to go out in the wild card, which shows how uh, joined up my thinking about these things uh, often is. But I just, yeah, I just have a feeling that the the Rams um, are going to come for them. Um, I mean, the big question mark about the Rams is who plays a quarterback. Um, looks like Goff might be back. Um, but, I mean, either way, they don't get to a high level on the offense, but their defense, I think, is good enough to take them deep uh, in this playoffs if they can get going. Fair enough. Yeah, like, I suppose actually fits. I'll let you go on this because it is your team. Yeah, like, look, Seattle have been, as Sean said, off the boil. This is likely to be a game where Pete Carroll will want to keep this close and tense like the victory they had in Week 16 to secure the division. They will run the ball a lot, even if it doesn't necessarily succeed. But the run game has been better over the back half of the year. They will rely on their defense. Obviously, huge change if if Jaron Reed and Jamal Adams aren't available. That is a major step back. And, you know, but obviously they're not going to be playing a quarterback that you necessarily have to fear, whether that's a banged up Jared Goff um, or, or the, the new John boy. Um, so like neither of the like this is a game where Seattle have played a lot of on paper cupcakes and have chosen to keep it close, not make mistakes, which is how they lost games to Buffalo and basically grind it out like an old school um, Seattle team back in the day. Um, so that's not a great formula for a great game to watch. Um, it's not a great formula for a game that Seattle will win easily. And the Rams obviously have that elite defense. So, you know, it, it probably might be the right thing to do. Because I think if you can just not give 
the Rams easy scores on defense, either directly or by setting up short fields, then they have struggled in games to win uh, convincingly. So this will certainly, as I said, a game for the purists. It's not one I would uh, set as much watch television on your Saturday evening. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Seattle have been solid enough, have shown enough that they can replicate what they did in Week 16 and, and get this done, especially given the quarterback issues that the Rams are having to go through on top of everything else right now. Yeah, look, I'll, so in this one, I can see entirely where the Rams could win this. I think Seattle are a hot and cold team, and I think Rams are hot and cold, and I think particularly when they play each other, as we've seen within the division, they run hot and cold. I really don't like what the Rams have been doing on offense of late. I don't love what Seattle have been doing, but I also think that there is there's a potential for more with the Seattle offense than there is for with the Rams offense. Uh, I think they might start to air it out a little bit more. I think they might have played in a shell a little bit on the off chance that they were going to be playing them again in the playoffs. They're at home in this game. They won the more recent game against them. Um, yeah, like, I, I, the thing is, when it comes down to it, if I reckon this is, and I think there's probably a good 75% chance that this is going to be a rough, already kind of defensive you know, as we say, one for the purest type game. Um, I ask myself, right, if, the, if if there's a score between these two teams going into the fourth quarter, which team am I expecting to be able to put it away? And I'm just expecting fourth quarter Russell Wilson to be able to put it away much more so than even the Aaron Donald-led Rams defense to be able to, to, to seal it up for them, particularly if they have a question about who's playing a quarterback. So, yeah, like it's yeah. it's not that I love uh, Seattle. It's not that I think Seattle are going to go deep. It's that I think that Seattle will beat a equally questionable Rams team yeah but I suppose if, if Seattle do want to open it up you know obviously the big question is that if DK Metcalf can get a couple of those big balls again no pun intended against um, Ramsey. Uh, Jalen Ramsey yeah. you know he, he, he's been shut down to some extent but there's been a few plays where he has been open but Russell Wilson has missed him um, but what I'm expecting is they'll more rely on Tyler Lockett on the tight ends on the run game and they'll kind of maybe if they do that enough they maybe they have a few plays in their back pocket that will unleash DK Metcalf and get them those long touchdowns that, you know, would certainly be a huge help against, as we say, a Rams team that we don't expect to put up many points. Yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay at Washington. Uh, we've all gone for Tampa Bay in this one. Yeah. I hope this is one of the late games, is it? Yeah, it's a Saturday night game, I think. Yeah. Cool. So we can just watch the highlights the following day. I Look, think even the, the commentary, it's like Mike Trico and commentary for NBC, so I don't even think NBC actually cares too much about this game. <laughs> Look, we got our Tampa Bay across the board in this one. Uh, quick take, and I'll come to you guys then, is Tampa Bay have been doing it, doing it, doing it the last couple of weeks. They've been showing that they can just come out and destroy teams. They're showing what they can do on offense when they're firing. Their defense is still questionable. There's there's issues there. And some of what they're doing on offense is, you know, to a certain extent against teams that they just match up particularly well with. But their weapons are going. Even with Mike Evans injured, I'm not that worried about it. So I think they could come in and have some fun. Now, Washington, can we make a case for them to actually win this game? I think it's a stretch, but like they've got they've got a very good Washington's best positional group is their defensive line. And if they can get pressure, they've got the young guys um is it sweat and and, and and them in there that like if they can get the pressure on Todd Brady it might be able to help something they need to be able to be stayed against the run because Ronald Jones is looking to be back on form again Washington need to play perfectly and they need to bring a lot of pressure I don't know how they're I don't think they've got the personnel to do it 
I, I can't see how they do it, but I think if they were to, that's the only way that they'd be able to, to, to have a chance at this. Yeah, my, my thinking would be along the same lines. Tampa Bay's offense is in a really rich vein of form. It looks like they could, they're going to score 70 points a week. Their defense has been a bit quieter the last few weeks, but they have had a great season. Their run defense is, I think, the best in the league. Their pass defense is less good, but um, shouldn't matter that much. So Tampa Bay are strong on both sides of the ball, and they've got Tom Brady, the, the playoff maestro, um, to, to drive them down should they need a kind of a, a, a late um, drive to win the game. Washington are so limited as a team, especially offensively. I, I just can't see how their offense is going to generate enough of anything to score to keep up, to keep pace with this Bucks offense. Um, the big, the, as you say, the big, the big avenue to uh, uh, Washington victory um, is the defensive line. Tom Brady hates pressure. It's how you get at him if you can constantly um, drive to the center at him. If you see Chase Young um, hitting Tom Brady a, a number of times uh, early in the game, that is a sign that this could be a tough game. But it's in Washington's interest to keep the score low and, and kind of edge it out. But I think the Bucks are just going to score too many points. And I think Washington just don't have enough on the offensive end um, to keep pace um, with them, even if, if their own defense plays at, the, at a very high level. Yeah, like I'm probably erring towards this being more of a, an ugly, you know, in the trenches game. I think both of these defenses have been able to make those kind of games early on and I think Washington's defense will do enough to make Tampa Bay and Tom Brady in particular uncomfortable like I kind of feel like he's like Tom Brady's been dunking in recent weeks given the terrible defenses he's played and dunk. oh see I can throw it deep but I think when if a defense can get him under pressure if that if he if they can fold in on that uh, pocket we know that Tom Brady can be pressured he will throw the ball away quite quickly if he feels any pressure and that will make it a in my opinion probably quite a you know unattractive game and this Tampa Bay offensive uh, renaissance that we've supposedly seen will be shown to be a bit of a, a paper tiger but yeah the problem is that Washington won't have necessarily enough on offense to kind of rack up the 20 or points the points or so that they'll need um I do think you know they have Alex Smith uh, back but unfortunately they're talking about rotating him with Tyler Heineke because he's still dealing with that calf issue uh, mm -hmm. but they do have Antonio Gibson and, Ty and, and McLaurin available so those are their two best offensive weapons you know healthy ready to go maybe they can generate some yards for the quarterback and you know over and Logan, Logan Thomas has been pretty good at tight end but yeah it's hard even given my own doubts about how good this Tampa Bay team is, given what you know their success against the uh, tomato cans of the league recently, um, I do think they just have enough here to take on the you know ugly representative of the NFC East. Also, fuck you know Dan Snyder. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the problem is that like outside of Dan Snyder, there's so much room for with that team with Alex Smith and and the coach and everything. It's just it's uh, apart from that, it's good. Uh, Baltimore at Tennessee. Oh, this is a tasty one. I've gone for Tennessee, and you boys have gone for Baltimore. Yeah, like the problem is the Baltimore uh, against bad defenses have been just gobbling up yards at a ferocious pace. Um, obviously, the biggest problem with Tennessee's defense is it has no pass rush, but their run defense is not exactly something to to you know to to, to go home with much about at all either. You know, Baltimore have just been I don't know what they did in midseason after the COVID thing kind of seemed to have almost killed their season, but they found the secret sauce that worked in 2019. This is obviously a big revenge game for Baltimore after being lost to Tennessee earlier this year, and obviously more importantly in the playoffs last year. 
year. So I think they will be well up for this. And if their formula can work against a bad defense, then you know Baltimore feel right now like a team that's almost impossible to lose because they, you know, the defense has perhaps been a little bit of a disappointment. But overall, I still think it's it's a pretty oh pretty good defense overall like Tennessee have Derrick Henry they have this explosive offense but I just their defense is so bad that I just find it really hard to pick them in a tough tough game against Baltimore you see I was coming into this and I was 100% going to be yeah you know what Baltimore they found form they're going to roll it'll be no problem at all and the more I looked at it the more I was like no do you know what they're actually not been in that good a set of form yes they've got good numbers right but this is what this is what they've played so they lost to the Patriots and then they lost to the Titans. And we're saying that it's since that point they've gotten good. They lost to the Steelers. So say post the Steelers game, right? So that's December. They put up 34 against a Cowboys team who, you know, like couldn't win the NFC East. They squeaked past the Browns in what was a great match, but it wasn't their defense that stopped them. They put up 40, but that was on the Jags, the worst defense in the league. They put up 27 against the Giants who are one of the worst defenses in the league. And then they put 38 against the Bengals, who also are one of the worst defenses in the league. Like, it's not that they've found this fantastic run of form, they figured it out. It's that they've played a load of really shit teams. Like, that's yeah, why their numbers Tennessee are huge. Tennessee have one of the worst defenses in the league. Like, this will be relevant next the, week, the difference is week. Tennessee can hold a ball for 45 minutes of a game with King Henry if he just doesn't score too quickly. Like, the other teams don't have anything. There's... the like putting up 24 points in a full game against an NFC East also ran doesn't make you an incredible offense. I I just can't I just can't trust the Titans defense. I mean I think Ronan is right in the sense that their their weakness isn't specifically Baltimore's strength. I mean their weakness is the, is the passing side of their defense, whereas Baltimore's strength is the running side. But still, I mean I think even if even if they have Henry holding onto the ball for 40 minutes, I mean, I still think the Ravens are going to score about 35 points in the 20 minutes that are allocated to them. There, there's just so much. The, the Ravens have a lot of options. Um, Jackson is, is in good form. And, I mean, the Titans have proven themselves completely incapable of stopping teams um, down the stretch and even being, uh, you know, fairly weak uh, against uh, pretty middling um, pass games. I mean, Lamar is, is probably above average in terms of his passing, but that would probably still be enough. I just can't. I can't see how Tennessee stop enough Baltimore from scoring enough points. I, I think there's just there's just too many deficiencies in this in this Tennessee defense. This is about right? a Ravens it, offense in this kind of form. This this offense is not as good as it was last year. As much as people want to say it is, and the Titans stopped them last year. This. Defense is not as good as it was earlier in the season, and the Titans beat them earlier this season. Like the Titans are the type of team that beats the Ravens. Uh, I, I I I know I'm going to be massively in the minority on this one, but I've just now I've completely convinced myself that the Titans are going to destroy. Well, not destroy. They're going to beat them. But uh, yeah, I've just I've just got it in my head. They know how to play Lamar well. Like they know exactly what to do to stop him defensively. They've never put up a ton of points on them. Like, I'm just, I've convinced myself of this one. <laughs> it it always comes down to whether you think that Baltimore have found something different or just, yeah, as you say, if they've just, their, their formula that worked last year happened to work against bad teams. So, like, know, it's, I, I, it, I, I certainly don't see it as a bad call. I think me and Sean just, uh, yeah. I think we both hate that Tennessee Dean's defense and we just don't think there's anything there. Oh, I don't, I don't like and their defense. Even, even if they scheme it right, you know? I don't like their defense, but I just think, I think Tennessee, they're going to roll on Henry. They're going to, they know exactly what to do to, kind of 
funnel um, to funnel the, the 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 Baltimore offense the way they want to. Like, yeah, like it might come down to a defensive mistake, but I think I think Tennessee have a good shot here. Um, Chicago at New Orleans. We've got for New Orleans across the board. What I, is... I, I think that spreadsheet captures it well. Does Chicago have a chance this game? No, no, no. no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. If Chicago were to figure out a way, we'll say, look, okay, so New Orleans, great form, fantastic defense at the moment, offense firing really well, players coming back, they should have no problem. Their only issue really is the running back. Chicago, what is their route? Who wants to give it a shot? What's Chicago's So, I mean, I, I think you can make the case that if, say, Kamara is out and Breeze is not quite... I mean, he's not having a great season by his own standards because he's in decline, but he's also not quite been that great since coming back from the injury. If this Bears defense can turn up, if they can kind of hold it tight... Um, they, if they can keep the Saints down, then Trubisky has to show up. I mean, I, I think the Bears, they can probably do enough defensively to keep themselves competitive. It's the question of whether Mitch Titties can step up uh, in a big game and actually uh, deliver. And he does have, I mean, they have wide receiver talent in Robinson. Montgomery is good on the ground. So they, they can be competitive. And they weren't, they weren't terribly out of their depth for a lot of the game against the Packers. So, so they are... That there is there is some semblance of a team here, so that's how they, they do it if they play their absolute best game and the Saints' offense, um, all the issues that we've had looking at them come to light in this one game. But I mean, the Saints. I feel the Saints are going to be really locked in for this game because this is it, really. There, this team is reaching the end of its cycle. Breeze is probably going to retire. They have a number of players coming to the end of their contracts, and um, if I understand it uh, correctly. They they're probably they not going to get a better it. chance. They're not going to get a better chance to uh, make a Super Bowl um, with this team um, than they have right now, especially since the NFC isn't the stronger of the two conferences. So I mean, I think Chicago going to have to play lights out, but I just even then I think New Orleans are going to be sufficiently plugged in um, to to win this game um, comfortably enough. Yeah, like the, like the only reason I have any doubt is because the New Orleans Saints have had a habit of absolutely shitting themselves against NFC North competition in the playoffs, mm. albeit that's been against Minnesota, not Chicago. But look, based on how good Alvin Kamara has been the last time we saw him, like unless he's got like bad COVID hangover, he should be that level. Drew Brees has looked, you know, has been inching back to being better, closer to his normal form. And he obviously has Taysom Hill to mix things in there uh, more successfully. Sean Payton is one of the best defensive minds in the NFL. And the Chicago defense hasn't really been playing up to its supposed reputation except in a handful of games. And yeah, on the other side, Mitchell Trubisky has made at least one super boneheaded mistake in each game. And now he's going up against one of the better defenses in the league. You know, on every objective measure, you have to pick New Orleans, but we said that before last year, and they ended up shitting the bed. So, uh, you know, just don't shit the bed, New Orleans, uh, and uh, move on and see if you can finally put this together um, without absolutely killing yourself. Yeah, this would have to be this would have to be like first two or three weeks of the year level defensive performance from Chicago to stand a chance and Mitch to have a, an up day and Monty to go for 203 touchdowns. It's, it could happen, but it's very unlikely. Um, yeah. Best of luck to them though. Here's hoping. Um, Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Um, I'm, I see I've gone Pittsburgh. I'm actually hemming and hawing over this one. Um, I, okay. Yeah, look, I'm, yeah. 
I'm picking Cleveland, but I'm picking Cleveland entirely on sentiment. I've gone this far with them, and I'm not giving up now. I really, on a, on a kind of a rational analysis, I find it difficult to think about how they might win this game, especially without a head coach. Um, they only just about beat the Pittsburgh's, uh, not second string, but first and a half string, I guess you can call it, um, team last week. They're going to have... Uh, an inferiority hang-up about playing the Steelers. I kind of wish the Browns were playing anybody except a fellow AFC North team here, because I feel that that, that kind of psychological edge is going is being a big part of the Browns. When they've struggled this season, they've struggled against other AFC North teams. Um, so, I mean, I really want them to win, and, and I'll be cheering for them, but um, even I, with my rose-tinted glasses, can't see much beyond a, a series of... Um, unlikely events coming together to, to pull the Browns uh, through this one. But if they do win it, then they're going to win the Super Bowl, guaranteed. See, the thing is, like, <laughs> like the, the the only performance in December, that, well, like, last five, six weeks, anyway, that's been impressive by the Steelers was a quarter and a half in that Colts game. And even then, I don't rate the Colts. Because they, they lost to the Washington football team. They lost to the Bills. They lost to the Bengals. They lost to the Browns. They scraped past the Colts when the Colts completely shit the bed. Like, I, yeah, like, like, objectively, they have more talent, but everything that I saw as a problem with them is still there. They still don't have a thumper running back. They don't have... Like, even, even that Browns game, look, it shouldn't have been that close. The Browns should have been better. But also, like, all their wide receivers had been off on COVID for a week. They hadn't actually... I think they only had one practice during the week that they had together. Like, I, I don't know if the Steelers are actually good. I'm kind of going back, because I spent all the season thinking the Steelers were shit. And then I was vindicated in December, and maybe I should stick to my guns. Yeah, I think the Steelers, defense, the Steelers' defense is good. The Steelers' offense has a lot of question marks over it, I will, I will grant you that. Um, but I think this defense is playing at a very high level um, and will probably step, step it up. Uh, I'm swapping back to Cleveland. I'm going for Cleveland to beat <laughs> Pittsburgh here. And I, like, I, don't, I don't disagree with picking Cleveland still. I just feel like, I don't know, the gods have said, oh, you've had your fun now. And they decide we're going to take away Olivier Vernon, who's been really good um, alongside Miles Garrett. And now they're going to have to play Adrian Claiborne, which means that Pittsburgh can dial in on Miles Garrett and take away their best defensive weapon. Like Denzel Ward obviously improves yeah, the secondary, back, so. but it, it's still not a great secondary by any stretch of the imagination. And Pittsburgh finally seemed to be willing to throw the ball deep. And we saw how that worked. For a quarter. They've had right. the quarterback well, in doing that for a quarter. Well, two quarters, if, well, three quarters if you include the end of the Indianapolis game, which they won. Um, so this is a case where I just feel like, you know, Cleveland, if they were at full strength, if they didn't have this COVID thing, just kind of come down on them. And Olivia Vernon going out. I, w- I originally actually was going for Cleveland, but I just feel like Pittsburgh... They, 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 they've had the rub of the green. In ter- like, I think they're not going to make it far into this playoff set um, after this, but I do feel that Cleveland just have got unlucky at the worst time and that that might just be enough to allow, allow Pittsburgh to get it. Uh, to- and I think, you know, when you have, like, your backup offensive coordinator um, going up against an experienced head coach with Pittsburgh, you know, it doesn't seem like that should make a difference. You know, it's just calling plays, but that level of pressure, that level of knowing what to do, even if you're doing okay, I just may just make those small differences that matter in this game. Um, 
look, Cleveland, they run the ball well with Nick Chubb, albeit without Betonio, and then they, you know, their defence doesn't shit the bed. Certainly they can win this game, but it just, I don't know, all the smells just don't go right for me, even though I don't necessarily rate Pittsburgh that highly at this point in the season. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the the Betonio thing is, is, is actually the thing that's catching me in the head. Like, I think, I think Cleveland can establish the run. I think Pittsburgh... They do have some injuries on that defensive line, so it's not quite the strength it was earlier on in the season, right? Then the right, uh, yeah, yeah. The, so the right like, end is out and stuff. You know, they, they've had issues uh, stopping the run to a certain extent, but I still think you know when they're all ready to go, and when obviously there's a lot less, you know, when there's a bigger hole there, I suppose in in the in the Betonio mm. uh, where Betonio would have been. It's just you know you worry that if Cleveland get into any kind of behind the like the eight ball situation that Baker Mayfield is going to get absolutely creamed by TJ Watt and co. And, and, that, and those kind of mistakes could easily turn into turnovers, um, interceptions, and other things that will just give Pittsburgh the, the amount of production that they need, um, even if the offense isn't going all lights out, um, to get this done. Like, look, it's a close game, I think, still, but just the way things have fallen this last week have tipped it, just in my point, just a little bit in favour of Pittsburgh for me for this prediction. Yeah, no, I'm gonna. I'm straight up just gonna try and secret this. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out in the world to see that it will hopefully happen. Uh, I, I never read it, but I, I, I understand that's roughly what the, what the secret is about. If there is justice in the world, the Browns will win. But there is no justice in the world. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but if there is no the justice numbers, in the world, yeah, then we're down, in a right? blue song. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Uh, so to be honest, a good slate of games. Uh, the NFC side not as strong, to be honest, with the Chicago and and, and, and Washington games in there. But you know, I, I we're due a surprise in one of them anyway. Um, yeah, should be fun. Any plans for the weekend yourselves, lads? Well, uh, given Food how football. things are going uh, in Ireland, uh, probably staying inside and watching football. Yeah, that seems like a yeah. good plan overall. I think I'm going to be doing very similar. Uh, going to pick up pick a few recipes. Might try and make some wings for this Sunday to watch alongside with or something but uh, yeah what about yourself Sean same um, yeah well it's it's actually my birthday on Thursday Thursday yes um, so happy birthday that'll be a thing, I happy suppose. birthday Sean um, now all I of mean, our listeners get can to my age, they don't, if you get to my age you don't really count that much anymore there's just an extra year added to a, a wildly uh, accelerating total um, but uh, yeah, so it should be good. Um, but yeah, definitely not going outside or going outside as little as possible. Um, <laughs> Very good. Definitely well, getting is... plague vibes. Getting proper plague vibes now. It's not just this is an inconvenience or this is a thing we have to do. This is like I'm just not going outside anymore. Mm. Uh, I can't trust anybody. It is. It's darkest before the dawn, isn't that it? Uh, I, sure. From from an astronomical point of view, that is incredibly inaccurate. But yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Except you know, in this case, Gandalf spring in the controlled. COVID vaccine. In this case, you could have controlled the darkness, uh, but you chose not to. Damn you, the darkness! <laughs> Stop releasing such good and catchy Christmas songs. Um, on that, on that fabulous note, as always, you can fire questions into us on the Facebook page, on email, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, for now, it's uh, bye from myself, bye from Fitz, bye, bye from Sean. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks for listening and we'll chat to you for Divisional Weekend. <laughs>